The secret of change is to focus your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new. And that's exactly what we're going to do, starting right now. Welcome to the Bite Size Habits Podcast. I'm Dr. Heather McKee. I'm a weight loss and behavior change psychology specialist and founder of drheathermckee.co.uk. This podcast is all about serving up bite-sized, digestible, evidence-based guidance from top health and behavior change experts and some inspirational real-life stories to help you get the mindset for success and stay there. It was the combination of motherhood colliding with her father's terminal illness that catapulted Susie into the world of self-care. Susie is, among other things, a mother of two, a chartered psychologist, yoga teacher, health coach, and author of the fantastic The Self-Care Revolution. Her mission is to support and empower people with the tools they need to engage in their own unique self-care habits. In this episode, we discuss the importance of creating your own unique framework for self-care that can serve you both in day-to-day life as well as times of need. In this episode, you will learn the true definition for self-care, the common barriers to self-care and how to overcome them, the importance of experimentation for what works at what time for you, how to build a self-care framework that is unique to you. A question to ask yourself based on today's episode is, what does self-care facilitate in your life? What does it allow you to do? How does it allow you to be? What I love about Susie's work is she takes something that can be seen as quite nebulous and brings it right down into the real world, giving us actionable tools and skills to execute on our own self-care frameworks. I'm absolutely thrilled to be sharing this episode on the real definition of self-care with Susie Redding. Hi. Hi, Susie. Welcome to the Bite Size Habits podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. It's a great joy. Oh, thanks for being on it. I'm so excited to talk to you today um, about all things self-care and all of the wonderful things that you do. And I'm, yeah, just bursting. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I suppose the first question I always ask people, and I think it's really interesting um, in your case as well, is kind of like what drew you to the field in the first place and why this is so imp- such an important field for you to be in. Mm-hmm. There have been lots of twists and turns to my career, but self-care is the thing that makes sense of it all. It's mm-hmm. the one thread that draws it all together. So I originally trained as a psychologist And then after I finished my master's degree, I then spent seven years working as a personal trainer and health coach. Um, It made sense at the time. (laughs) And during that time, I also studied um, my yoga teacher training qualifications. Um, But it was life experience of motherhood colliding with the terminal illness of my father. Mm. And my, my own experiences of energetic bankruptcy that really led me to reclaim my psychological practice Um, And I wanted to empower people with the tools of self-care because in that experience, I firsthand learned the true transformative power of self-care. And we need a really broad toolkit from which to draw. And so beautifully, I'm able to draw on all of those different modalities to help people nourish themselves head, heart and body. Mm. so it's like this journey through your own personal self-care and having to engage in that that really Mm. kind of got you passionate about it and then wanting to share that message with everyone else it was the thing that helped me understand how I could best be of service Mm. um 
even when I was working as a personal trainer, I knew I was doing more than fitness. You know, I used to sort of jokingly call it treadmill therapy or therapy by (laughs) stealth. Um, But I think having had my own experience of, to be honest, I don't know whether it was grief, depression, um, exhaustion, but having had my own trial Mm. and having had to claw my way back to vitality, I felt like I could practice with real authenticity. Mm. And I knew that empowering people with the tools of nourishment was the way that I could best be of service. Mm. And I love that it still allows me to um, draw on my experience as a yoga teacher and I'm still empowering people with movement and, and breath work. And, but it, it all comes together under the concept and the practice of self-care. Mm, mm. So it's like, you know, self-care can come under multiple umbrellas, but ultimately it's what mm. you're doing yourself to take care of yourself. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we, we're all aware of it as a concept, mm. but I think it's it's a bit nebulous. It's mm. misunderstood. Um, I think it gets a pretty terrible rap in the media. You know, it's not narcissism. It's not just pampering. <laughs> it's not just putting your feet up and having a cup of tea. Yeah. Um, let's be honest, sometimes the true act of self-care is the last thing you feel like doing. Mm. You know, it's not always comfortable. But the way I define it, and I hope that having a clear definition might help um, break down some of the barriers to yeah. engaging in it. For me, self-care is health care. Mm. And when I see it through that lens, it becomes crystal clear as to why it's so vital because our health is our greatest commodity. Without our health, what is it that we can achieve in life? Mm. So self-care means lots of different things to different people in terms of the practices that might resonate, but at the heart it has to be nurturing our health. Mm. Otherwise, it's not self-care. And it's not just you in this moment. And a true act of self-care nurtures you right now and the person that you're becoming. Mm. And I think that's a really useful distinction to make. I love that. And, you know, it's, I kind of, yeah, yeah. Originally, I was a bit worried because I don't like bubble baths. And I was like, uh, <laughs> because I don't engage in bubble baths, does that mean I'm bad at self-care? So I, I love that definition. I love it. So like, you know, it's part of our health care. And so yeah. it basically underpins all that we do and all that we want to be in life. And, you know, the person that we want to be and the way that we want to live our life. And so by engaging in our self-care, we're, you know, enhancing our ability to kind of show up to be the best person in our day-to-day lives. That's right. Um, You know, adopting self-care really comes down to an approach to life. Mm. That's Mm. what it has to be for it to be sustainable and truly fruitful. And what that practice will look like will differ from person to person Mm. because different things resonate with different people, but also... What resonates for you in one moment might not in the next. Mm. So that's why it's awfully confusing. Mm. Um, And that's why we also need a really broad toolkit because in one moment you need a CBT tool to help you think straight. In another moment you need to check in and make sure that you've eaten, Mm. right? (laughs) So we're we're, we're nourishing our mood and our mental clarity without without eating. Sometimes it's it's movement or it's nature or it's social connection Mm. or it's the breath. It's the, the real art of it is one connecting with where you're at and knowing what you need. And then how can you deliver that with some kind of nourishing practice mm. or a skill? Now, that's the thing that I think most people don't realize is that self care isn't just 
a selection of pampering activities. Mm. It's so much more than that. It can be cultivating gratitude, Mm. tapping into curiosity, compassion, kindness, appreciation, savouring. These are literally a lens through which we see the world. And when you get good at those skills, it actually changes how you experience life. So in that sense, it's not like self-care has to be something that you sit down and you do for half an hour. It's it's also an essential skill set mm, that nourishes that. us. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it makes it, as you say, less nebulous. You know, it's more mm. tangible. This is a skill. Like any, you know, like I always say to my clients, you know, thoughts are habits too, the way we think, the way we act, mm-hmm. the way we talk to ourselves, our own personal self-talk. And like what you're saying here is, you know, self-care, again, you know, it's a skill that we need to develop over time through small practices, through engagement health, through awareness. And actually that brings me on to something that um, I'm wondering, you know, I suppose taking a step back, Susie, you know, why aren't people engaging enough with their self-care? Um, and uh-huh. I, I suppose it's twofold is my question here now, and I'm sorry mm-hmm. I'm in advance for this, but I'm just so curious is why aren't people engaging in it? And then what mm-hmm. can be the first step that they can take then to try and engage with it? I think the biggest block is not understanding what it is. Mm. Yeah, I think not being clear on what it is and okay. not being clear on the purpose. Mm. Yeah. They're sort of like the fundamental blocks. Um, when I explain that self-care is healthcare, people go, ah, mm. okay, I, I get it. But there are still barriers. There are still barriers. And there are four main barriers in my experience. And they are a perceived lack of time, mm. um, the feeling that there's not enough energy, feeling like self-care is too expensive. Mm. And the biggest one is guilt, feeling yeah. guilty about it. But what I find is that those barriers drop away when we get clear on what self-care is mm. and when I give people practical examples of self-care that's both potent and doable. Mm. You know, self-care doesn't have to take big chunks of time. It doesn't need to require any energy. Some self-care does. So we need a different self-care toolkit when we're, you know, energetically low or overwhelmed mm. or stressed or in a period of grief or loss or change. Let's acknowledge that. Um, self-care doesn't need to cost a penny. Mm. Yeah. And when you get clear on the why of self-care, that's when guilt starts to diminish. And mm. I don't think guilt ever goes, right? I think it's kind of hardwired in us that we think, oh, gosh, is, is this really okay? Mm. But what I learned the hard way is that if I don't invest in my own health, yeah. I am genuinely rubbish at taking care of those that I'm responsible for. Mm. Yeah, so I engage in self-care so I can be an authentic well-being psychologist, so I can be of service, genuine service to my clients, so I can be the kind of mum I aspire to be, mm. so I can stay married, you know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's that basic and fundamental. And, and when self-care has dropped away and you've experienced that energetic bankruptcy, you know, you make different choices next time round mm. because it serves no one. You're of no use to anyone when you're flat on your back on the floor. And this is like, that's why I'm so passionate about sharing my experience because even as a psychologist, a yoga teacher and a health coach, that first experience of real suffering in my life floored me Mm. because I stopped taking care of myself. All of those nurturing practices that I would regularly engage in, I stopped doing because I felt like I didn't have the time and I thought it wasn't okay. But I will never make those mistakes again. And I've spent the last seven years 
really refining my self-care toolkit. So I've got something to choose in any moment, mm. regardless of whether I'm time squeezed, energy poor, you know, you know, no spare cash. There's always something accessible, whether it's savoring a sunset, having a cuddle, reading a, a paragraph of something uplifting or watching something funny. It's so simple mm. when you see, when you conceptualize those acts as self-care. Oh, I love that. And I suppose you speak to a lot about, you know, giving yourself permission to engage with your own self-care. And, you know, there's so much, I suppose, you know, so much of us are restrained from, you know, that indulgent side of it, you know, thinking that it's going to take time, thinking that, you know, oh, well, actually, this is me just, you know, being selfish in, in some way. And I love that you say that, you know, actually, this allows you to be a better person, not just for yourself, but all of the totally. other people that matter to you in your life. So I love that. It's really, really yeah. lovely. What I want people to understand is that there are four main reasons why we all need self-care, while mm. there's nothing frivolous or luxurious about it. And those reasons are self-care helps us cope in the moment, Yeah. And life is inherently stressful, whether it's things that we don't want, like, you know, job stress or conflict or illness, but things that we do want, like having babies and getting married and building houses and even planning holidays. These things all incur an energetic tax. Mm. We need self-care to help us cope Mm. in the moment. And then we need self-care to help us heal and restore after those experiences. So it's, I call it the energetic bank balance. We need to top ourselves up after we've experienced those stressful moments that, you know, knock the wind out of us. Mm. Because if we don't, that's when we get overwhelmed because life keeps happening, doesn't it? Mm. So we need to take the time to heal and restore. And then thirdly, we need to be engaging in proactive self-care because that's the stuff that builds our resilience in the face of future stress. And if you imagine what you are like when you are energetically topped up, things might just needle you, right? Mm. We're more resourceful and capable. When you are low, tired, pooped, when you haven't fed yourself properly, you haven't slept well, Mm. the tiniest thing can push you over the edge. So self-care gives you that protective buffer Mm. against future stress. And then the last reason is, If you nourish yourself, you give yourself best access to who you aspire to be and achieve the things that you want to in life. And that is the ultimate win-win. You know, well-nourished people tend to be kinder, more compassionate and more resourceful. Mm. This is what the world needs. Yeah, more nice people to be around. Yeah. 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 I love that. And so what I'm listening to that, what I'm thinking is, if someone is completely new to this concept of self-care and, you know, you've mm-hmm. started to you get them thinking, getting them curious about, okay, this is healthcare, this is interesting, you know, I'm, I'm, and they're starting to think, okay, well, what are the ways that I can start to kind of cultivate more self-care in my life, in my day? And I know you've given a lot of examples, um, but I'm sure you've got a lot of experience from, you know, working mm. with your clients and, and stuff like that um, in terms of actually, what would you recommend to someone just kind of starting out on their self-care journey? And I know you talked a lot about experimentation sure. and everything else, um, but I'd just be quite interested you know what's that first step that someone could take I think the easiest place to start is when you have a framework or a set of categories from which to choose Mm. because I could reel off I could reel off literally a thousand different nourishing practices or rituals in the moment it's really hard to put your finger on something so that's why I created the vitality wheel which is it's a, it's a wheel that shows you the different ways that you can nourish yourself. It's 
And it's really simple stuff. It's things like what you eat, your movement, sleep, rest, relaxation and breathing. It's social connection. It's nature and the environment in which you are because that has a huge impact on your on your well-being. Mm. It's specific coping tools. It's um, mood-boosting activities, mood-boosting skills. And it's also goal-setting and connecting with your values and your purpose. So if people want to see that vitality wheel, I think a visual representation really helps you put your finger on something in the moment when you need it the most. Mm. So that's on my Instagram account. I've got a picture of that vitality wheel. It's also in my book. The way that you can use that diagram to the best is if you annotate it with little self-care tools and practices that resonate for you, inspired by each of those segments of the wheel. So, you know, movement is general. If you think about, okay, how is it that you want to feel? If you are trying to prepare for a phone call or an important meeting, you might go for a brisk walk around the block. That's not what you do before going to bed, though, because that's too stimulating. Mm -hmm. Movement in that sense might be um, some restorative yoga poses. So you annotate the wheel and that will give you, that is essentially, that's you building your own self-care toolkit Mm. of practices that you find of genuine interest that will meet your needs in the moment because those needs will change. We need Mm. something to remind us of what's accessible to us. I love that because it's so tangible. And again, Mm. like you say, it's visual. So we've got it. And even I feel like, you know, that's something that would be an amazing screensaver in a way because Mm -hmm. like, you know, if we see things, you know, they act as visual cues to call us to engage with certain goals and like actually. It's a primer. Absolutely. Mm. I actually have it on the fridge and I encourage all of my clients to display it somewhere prominent. Uh, When I go and do corporate talks, I encourage people to have it up in the office. Mm. Um, I use it with my kids. You know, when tempers are flaring or there's a little conflict, we say, hey, let's check in with a vitality wheel what can we do to help ourselves feel better? Mm. And so my kids are well-versed in this language. And even Teddy, who he's four, he can't read yet. You can use it with diagrams and we've made a little collage of things. So it's Mm. like, oh, I'm hungry, mummy. I need to eat something. I can't think straight. Yeah. Yeah, I love love that as well. It's so, and it's, you know, so often, you know, we get caught up in the moment, thinking in the moment, like, oh, I'm, I'm stressed or I'm tired and, and kind of not actually then saying, okay, I'm stressed and I'm tired. What can I do right now to bring me out of yeah. this state and get me back into feeling my best? And, you know, this gives us a tangible way of actually taking a moment, cultivating that awareness, first of all, and mm-hmm. then engaging with practices that we know will actually help us, you know, be able to get back on track, feel better, be a better person, all of that. Um, I love it. I love it. It's magical. It's made the world a difference mm. in my life. And I, I love seeing it transform other people's lives. This stuff really does work. Mm, mm. And it's it's so much more simple and accessible than first meets the eye. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love that you've, you know, you've created this into a framework. And so, you know, it's bottling it down into an accessible way that people can kind of bite off different chunks of it. And like mm-hmm. what you say about experimentation, which I think is so key because Like you say, you know, different times of the day, you'll have different energy and different activities will work at different times of day, different times of week, different times of the year, you know, for Mm. you. Um, And so it's important to be experimental because like not everything's going to work at the start. And that doesn't mean that you can never really be bad at self-care because the process of actually trying to engage with it is, is good in itself. 
It is. And you're spot on. Our needs evolve with time, Mm. but also we need to keep our practices fresh and evolving Mm. Um, because just like if you did the same exercise routine in the gym week in, week out, your body physically plateaus in terms of results. The mind is no different. Um, It's called hedonic adaptation in Mm. positive psychology. So there needs to be a freshness. There needs to be a variation in, in the practices that we engage in. So whether it's dipping into a gratitude practice or a mindfulness practice or moving or breathing, yeah, it, we need different things at different times. And it's it really serves us well to just keep dipping our toe in and trying different things. Mm, I love that. And I, yeah, absolutely. And I, I suppose that gets me thinking as well. If someone is engaging in their own self-care practice and, you know, they're trying out these new things, how best, because we know that, you know, individuals don't operate in isolation, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm wondering how best to engage others then and, you know, get support from others in this kind of self-care journey. I'm so glad you brought that up. I think it's so important that we tell people what our goals and aspirations are because mm-hmm. otherwise they unwittingly sabotage us. It's so important that we share with people what it is that we're setting out to achieve because then they can truly support us. Mm-hmm. And also then we can look at what are our shared missions? What, what can we work on here together? And having a dialogue about it is so important. And I think one of the reasons why self-care is rising to prominence right now is that we're having more of an open and honest dialogue around mental health. Mm. Um, and I see self-care as it's a really important practice to nurture ourselves emotionally, energetically, and mentally. Because no one looks at brushing your teeth or going for a run as selfish, but when it comes to practices that are about our mental health, I think there's a little more resistance. Mm. So that dialogue is so important. And also sharing the tools that work for you because there might be something that, a particular concept, like post-traumatic growth, this is something I really, I want everyone to know about it because just hearing that term might help you think differently about an experience. It might just help you uh, ask yourself different questions. This is what happens in dialogue. We've got to talk about it. We've got to talk about why self-care is important and how it is that we're managing to squeeze it into our already very busy lives. Mm, mm. And I love that and because it's always... And doing for support. Yeah. That, you know, that psychological contract yeah. yeah, where you've got someone keeping you honest. Mm. It's so wonderful knowing that you've got someone in your corner. So draw on the people around you, yeah? And in a way, I suppose by letting them know about what your goals are and everything else, you're engaging them in the self-care process as well Mm -hmm. and getting Mm -hmm. them curious about self-care and you know potentially then yeah as you say you know having these joint self-care goals and being able to watch out for one another and you know support each each other in your own um, self-care that's right and again from positive psychology that's referred to the the upward spiral Mm. of of joy that upward spiral of energy Mm. so yes talk about it with your friends yeah. How can you work on these things together? Mm, yeah, I love that. And Susie, so like so many nuggets of wisdom here, I'm like, I actually just can't wait to like re-listen to this immediately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but can I ask you, how, how do people get in touch and find out more about what you do? Because I'm sure there's loads of people that are going to be really interested in, you know, finding out more about your book, about, you know, the different work that you do. I know, like, I love your blog. I think it's really, really useful, really, really actionable as well. Um, How can people get in touch? All of the things that are helping me, that's what I blog about. That's Mm. what I post about on social media. Um, And you can find me on Instagram. That's where I I post most regularly, 
just at Susie Redding. Mm-hmm. So all of the things that are helping me, that's what I write about. Um, and then you can find my book, The Self-Care Revolution, on Amazon and most major bookstores. I'm on Twitter as well and on Facebook, Susie Redding, Psychology and Yoga. Um, there's a new little thing that I'm about to launch on Instagram because I want to help people make a self-care habit. Nine o'clock on a Monday morning in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to launch Monday Micro Moments where every week I'm going to share some kind of self-care practice just so you start the week with a sense of peace and ease. Mm. Um, and I, what I'm aiming to do is put that on IGTV so all of that content is accessible. So if you can't tune in at 9 o'clock on a Monday morning, you check in at a time that suits you. Mm. And then that way I'm sharing all of the stuff, all of the things in my toolkit I want people to have access to. Well, that's so generous of you. Thank you. Oh, it's a, it's a great pleasure because, you know, truly we're in it together. We stand to, to, to gain so much mm. when we come together and talk about it. I learn so much from from the, the people who are part of my wellbeing community. So, mm. yeah, we, we're in it together. And actually that little practice, you know, is a practice of self-care by going on and, you know, getting your little mindful moment each week. And um, like you say, it keeps that freshness as well and allows people to be open to different opportunities for self-care mm-hmm. that maybe they haven't thought about before. That's right. Yeah. Keeps it fresh, keeps it evolving. Awesome. And keeps it on our radar. That's mm. the most important thing. Mm. No, I love that. Not only on our fridge, but on our radar too. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and Susie, just before we go, just I'm just wondering, do you have a final piece of advice or insight that you want to share that will help people kind of engage in this self-care habit? Do you know, I think the thing that unlocks it is connecting with your own personal why. Mm-hmm. So the, the question that I would love for people to reflect on is, what does self-care facilitate in your life? You know, when you're well-nourished, how does that affect who you are and how you interact with others? How does that affect all of the people that your life touches? Mm. When you get clear on that, that's the thing that really allows you to, with complete abandon, engage in regular self-care because you know exactly how it benefits you and everyone in your life. Mm. And so that clarity is so important. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's the that. stuff that breaks through the barriers. Mm. Get to know your why, and that will galvanize you when life gets tough. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Susie. It's been magical. It's been so, so helpful. I've just really enjoyed your time. Thank you so much, Heather. It's, it's such a, it's a great privilege, and I really hope if I can save just one person mm. from that state of energetic bankruptcy that I found myself in, it's all worth it. Oh, well, thank you, and we'll chat soon. Thanks, Heather. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bite Size Habits podcast. If you want to learn more about the key factors that drive your habits, pop on over to drheatherbakee.co.uk. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to having you back soon for another episode of the Bite Size Habits podcast.